Hello, and welcome once again to V'ger Please, a hateful voyage through the Delta Quadrant. I'm Joseph. I'm Peter. Well, Peter, I'm 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 back from my own vacation this time. Yeah, we just ate up all of our uh, our reserve episodes. <laughs> we did, we did. I actually had to push one out a day late, but uh, we got plans for making sure that's a one-time interruption in our uh, Thursday service. Uh, but uh, while I was gone, Peter, I have some news. We got our first mailbag submission. Uh-oh, I'm going to have to print that one out and hang it up on the fridge. I've been waiting, man. Like, uh, I'm, I'm very excited. I, I get very hyped up when I see uh, our listeners start discussing things on Facebook. Uh, I get excited when I see the V'ger hashtag getting used on Twitter, and then I find out it's the Elon Musk SpaceX stuff, and I <laughs> curse the choice and hashtags we used over there. But uh, what uh, what's it say? I, I didn't know we got uh, any email yet. Yeah, so uh, Cassie, I won't use her last name because they didn't ask permission, but Cassie... Because we don't use our own last names. It's, it's true. Unless they post directly to the Facebook page and therefore out their identity to the world. I I, I will not do that. But uh, Cassie uh, sent me a message and said, uh, you know, I was listening to the most recent episode uh, that we did uh, regarding, uh, at that point it would have been the cloud. And all of our hot takes about, about Indian magical powers and how it was handled and Chakotay in particular mishandled you mean in my opinion it it quite mishandled and apparently there's a reason Uh, Cassie alerted me that the cultural advisor that the showrunners hired to help them suss out Chakotay's Native American backstory was himself a total fraud who faked his own Native American ancestry wow yeah, so apparently uh, this guy's name is Jemakay Highwater. Jemakay or Jamiroquai? Because I'm familiar with the second one. It may be Jamiroquai. He, he may be a one-hit wonder from the 90s, but he wrote uh, more than 25 books of both fiction and nonfiction related to Native American myths and traditions. But he was himself exposed by Hank Adams and Vinnie Deloria Jr. as faking a Native American ancestry in order to sell books. And... Uh, Hank Adams is a cagey motherfucker. I, I'm I'm not surprised to hear it was him that brought him down. Evidently, his fraudulent nature as a not an Indian was was known before they decided to hire him for for Chakotay's backstory. So, was was Voyager before internet? Oh hell yeah! I mean, this was 1994, five. So we're dealing I mean, with like uh, let me let me try and remember. Junior high and high school, so we're dealing with like AOL years, right? Uh, BBS boards. I so mean, it's not like you know you could just throw someone's name in Google and get their shit list like that. No, it is. It would would not have been that easy to do background on the guy you hired. You would actually have had to have put in effort. Well, first of all, I'm surprised to even hear that the uh, Voyager production team even bothered to seek out someone to work as a consultant on that. I'm happy to hear that, you know, they at least made that effort, uh, but I'm not surprised to hear that they did zero effort in researching the consultant who fed him a line of bullshit. But uh, at the end of the day, I guess I feel better for all those bad Chakotay scenes because at least they tried and they were led astray by a fraud. It, it, it adds a context to all of our conversations about how ridiculous his spirituality was being portrayed in that episode. When you realize the background information came from someone who was making it up. I mean, all of a sudden it all comes together that Chakotay is really running the cult that you were suspecting he was running. This is all a fraud. And we can, we can accept that as headcanon now because of this information. I was talking to my buddy about some of my theories on this episode and I was, no, I was the the last episode, the one where I was talking about how I think that uh, humanity is stagnated and they've turned to exploration to try to alleviate that stagnation, but still you're not seeing any genuine innovation on earth because there's not enough duress to really bring out humanity's best. And he tried to cut me off and he's like, you're, you're reading too deep into it and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yes, I absolutely am because they're talking about, 90s network basic cable sci-fi you know the the depth wasn't there and for me to enjoy (laughs) anything that we're doing here i have to allow my mind to wander i've been spoiled by 
Westworld and, and Battlestar Galactica Mm-hmm. and all the other great sci-fi that's been out. I mean, it's really a, I think we're coming into a golden age of sci-fi right now. I, I was sitting there with my wife talking. We just finished up uh, Altered Carbon, and I think we're going to start on mute. But I'm like, you got two, in my opinion, two great Star Trek options on the air right now between uh, Discovery and uh, Orville and just tons of good sci-fi coming out of Netflix and cyberpunk's finally being embraced. Um, it's it's a really cool time to be a geek. You're getting some high-budget, high-production value deep stories um and if it means having to chew through shit like this back from the 90s to get here it's well worth it i would say that the golden age of television really started with battlestar galactica and i we've seen spikes of science quality sci-fi coming from that i know you're a huge fan of the expanse oh yeah um you know there there's there's been some stuff that's happened but i would agree with you we've we, we finally started to tap that genre more uh, with the stuff we're seeing now. But to your point, that's what makes talking about this show so fascinating because you know, a lot of the people who were involved uh, with uh, Star Trek around long years, obviously Ron Moore comes to mind, but some of these guys, these guys are, you know, TV experts. You know, they really made a career out of it. And it's interesting to see what the limits were for their storytelling capacity in the 90s. These were pros. I mean, they know what they were doing. Versus what would pass today. Sure. You know, 25 years later. I also want to point out, well, two things. First, uh, that my decision to never watch Deep Space Nine or Voyager, because at the time I was a I was a petulant child and it wasn't next gen and I, I was resentful of that for them straying from the formula. Uh, but I'm glad I, I didn't watch any of that stuff then because being able to have this stuff is basically a time capsule and watch it for the first time and get a t- taste of that classic 90s trek uh is pretty cool you know it's 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 the un the lost episodes for me uh and also going through and watching it knowing i'm going to be discussing it as almost like a book club it adds a lot of appeal to this like i think if i was just sitting there trying to binge watch through this stuff with no one to talk about and just watching it for leisure i'd be pretty miserable but we have people who are engaging the misery as they listen to us so I don't want to discourage them because it is their suffering that allows me to continue. They're still part of a community. They're still part of a community, though. I mean, they're they're going I, into these podcasts and and in their own mind partaking in these conversations. Hopefully, we're covering all of our bases. But uh, you know, it's it's a cool way for me to watch TV in a in a format I've never done before. Uh, well, let us continue well, that uh, by before before you gave me some good news about mailbag. I've got some good news for you. <laughs> Oh, sweet. Lay it on me, man. Uh, I was, uh, I had a couple drinks and uh, I had my phone and I had Amazon open. And uh, our sweet intro music has had me brooding and, and somewhat jealous that I didn't jump on the opportunity to teach myself and, and be the one to get my music in there. So uh, I've bought a friend for $5 from Amazon. <laughs> so. <laughs> it is beginning over here, and I'm going to see if I can't rise up to the challenge and and, and let this uh, motivation carry me to the to the depths of recorder Hall of Fame. I don't know. I, I'm looking forward to where your best effort stacks up against Ian and Sarah's absolute worst. Like, can you, with practice and dedication? just eke out above what they shat out on their first take. Well, let me tell you who the world will be watching. Let me tell you who's horrified to, to get the answer to that. It's my wife. She is not a happy camper <laughs> right now. Neither is the baby. <laughs> I fucking bet. Yeah. I'm happy to report, however, that I was able to remember how to play uh, Mary Had a Little Lamb and Old MacDonald from my third grade music class. So feeling good on that one. Uh, you're, you're off to a roaring start, my oh, friend. Yeah. And um let, let me tell you what didn't get off to a roaring start. Uh, this episode, uh, we're uh, we're watching ex post facto. So we're on uh, for this season one. one, episode seven. There was something you said to me as we had a brief initial chat about the episode before launching into recording that the first shot made you do. Can, and I can just I want you to give me the story? Yeah. Okay. Please. So I'm getting the house ready so I can sit down and do my homework and watch this episode last night, and uh, I switch my TV, my smart TV over into um, Netflix mode and I'm getting things ready. And I, I queue up the episode. So it starts buffering 
And in my head, I'm like, oh, crap, I got to move the laundry over to the dryer. So as soon as the episode queues up to 100%, I immediately hit pause to get up off the couch and go flip that laundry over. And I look at the screen and it's already paused. And I just, I'm like, ugh. And my wife's like, what's wrong? I'm looking at the screenshot and it's uh, just black and white and someone looking at their shoes and, and the subtitles are still on. It's like, and what do you see, Tom? And I'm like, anytime an episode of Star Trek opens in black and white, it's a painful melodrama episode. And I knew exactly what I was getting in for. And I did it anyways. Yeah, that um, that I guess it's important to point out what they were trying to do with this episode. It was very clear. They were attempting to do Maltese Falcon in space. That's what they wanted to do. What we got in the end was a shitty episode of Matlock in space. So they, they were throughout this episode is all of these film noir detective story tropes on purpose. And what could have been a fun episode of TV if they had embraced the tropes Instead, everyone played it straight, and it just wound up boring. Miserable. This episode is exactly like what is in the back of the mind, mind when I had reservations about getting in and doing Voyager. Like, this is just a boring waste of time, but we're going to make it fun, goddammit. So, so, so I, I told my wife, I'm like, I know this is going to suck. And I, I go down into the basement to flip it, the laundry, and as I'm walking out of the room, she says, well aren't the bad episodes better for the podcast? And I said, begrudgingly, you're right, but it doesn't make me feel any better about what's going to happen for the next 45 yeah, but, minutes. But to the suffering that's necessary to forge out, you know, these, these, these spicy hot takes about the shitty TV. Mm-hmm. It's, it requires blood, sweat, and tears. No, there's plenty of that. It's not a fun process. I enjoyed watching uh, Eye of a Needle. It was so much fun. This is, was not fun. I checked my watch like four times. It was 40 <laughs> minutes. So uh, we, we get it. We get a pre-credits teaser that is Tom uh, going through what seems to be some visions or memories. And the memories are in black and white, as you noted. And he's obviously confused about what's going on because he, what he is seeing is evidently a vision or or some kind of, of memory of – of him making out with some alien lady in black and white. And eventually there's a conflict with whoever's just caught him. It's very unclear what's going on, except that Tom is confronting this dude for having caught him in the middle of a hot makeout session with this, this vaguely female looking alien. Lady. Choose your words very carefully here. <laughs> oh, really? Why is that? Because if you use the word hot in conjunction with any of these, and I've already picked what I'm going to name this alien race for the purposes of this podcast, uh, but we'll get okay. to that in a minute. Okay. And I was not going to use that word. And let, let's take a moment to say when we finally arrive at, at a clear vision of them and we, we get to name them, you know, we'll take turns because I have a name as well. Um, this vaguely female looking alien, Tom's making out with it. He is in distress. Uh, something has happened. There's been a trial, and he has evidently been convicted of murdering the dude whose memories he is watching. And this is apparently the last memory this guy had. So Tom apparently got his 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 dick and alien crazy somehow, got involved between a man and his wife, and then there was a murder, and then we have what we have at the end of the pre-credit sequence. He has to, as a punishment, relive this murder every, I think, 14 hours. And that's where they leave the pre-credit sequence. Not a lot to say. I mean, it's they, they show it. You don't really see what the aliens are about because the only shots we have is in black and white. It's all kind of confusing. But, you know, Tom's disheveled. So clearly he's had a bad time. That's how we show that someone's had a bad time on TV. They're disheveled. And that's about it. It leaves it there. They've opened with this thing. And again, I, I never saw this episode before, but just right off the bat, in the one point you left out to this is these memories he's watching in black and white. There's like this heads up display. Basically, he's getting where it's like, 
almost looks like a data feed, like weird alien characters blinking across the bottom. of It's like the first thing I noticed and what my mind like dwelled on. And it becomes a major plot point at the very end. But uh, that stood out in this. And also you'll later come to find out in the episode that they haven't really been on. They've, they've been on this planet for all of one day, I want to say. And uh, the people, the Voyager crew who went down to the planet, there's only two people. It's uh, Kim and it's uh, Paris. And the, the, the murder victim while he's fighting with Paris was like, I knew you were in prison. I'm going to tell your, 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 captain what you did you'll never wear that uniform again and, and then paris is like i'm afraid i can't let you do that like who who the fuck ratted paris out that fast was like oh that dude's a fucking convict man <laughs> i i thought the exact same thing when i saw it i even have a note of like how does this guy know that tom paris was in prison as we find out later there, there is evidently zero opportunity for him to learn that tom paris is in prison at all, unless he offered it as like a, an anecdote about his own life somehow. But the way that the guy phrases it in the memory is, I've heard about you. Your your rep goes far and wide, Tom Paris. There's sex crime alerts in 10 sectors. <laughs> uh, so, so basically what I've come to find out about the scientist is he did a better job researching the guy who makes out with his wife in his house than the Voyager production crew did for their Native American consultant. A true story. <laughs> we uh, we get only the only scene that isn't connected to the main plot is the scene after this, and it's the Doctor and Kess who have consistently delivered on the best scenes of the se- of the season so far, and they do so again here. The Doctor is educating Kess on on medical uh, terminology and procedure. Uh, as far as her training, she's just very soon her way right through it, man. I mean, I'll buy it because she's got men, she's got mental abilities, we, and we've heard that she's got crazy mental abilities. So, okay, fine. Sure, I'm I'm talking it more up to that these uh, space mayflies, since they uh, live fast and die fast, that they probably you know they got some stap them. She's got a plus five and a couple uh, of these traits for that. I buy that too. That makes sense. Like they would have to be able to absorb things fast because they only live for, you know, 10 seconds. So of course they learn. And while we're on Kess, I got to say, man, I keep, every time I see her now in my head, I see that mug shot from the police where she was showing her butt to children <laughs> in her front yard oh, yeah. and then tried to fight the cops. And I'm looking at her in these, you know, these episodes, especially now that she's got her hair under control. She's easy on the eyes, man. And, that does not follow her through life. No, oh, she she uh she put some city miles on before that muck shot. Like she, she did some hard driving. She species flops from uh some sort of a space elf to a space orc. <laughs> yeah, I I can't describe it any other way. That crew cut. She looks like she is a hard bitten space marine. If you don't believe us, guys, go go to our Facebook page. Uh, maybe we should throw it up at the Voyager Twitter account too. It's just, it's crazy. It is crazy, but that mugshot is just unspeakably bad. If you hadn't seen her since the series had ended, you were in for a shock. But she's having the scene with the doctor. The doctor, last episode, we failed to mention because it was right at the end, but he's interested in having a name. He wants to be called something. And he asked the, the captain to give him a name and then explains to Kess. Like I, I, oh, I wouldn't choose. I'm, I'm a program. I'm programmed to do things. I don't, I don't have agency. Uh, which again brings us back to that AI VI argument. But is a self limitation that he puts on himself. As Kess kind of talks him through, like you have the capacity to make choices. You do it all the time, and the way you process those choices is no different than any you know flesh and blood member of the crew. So why would you limit yourself in this way? You don't have to. And because they realized, in fact, he could pick his own name if he wanted. And I thought it was really clever. I mean, he's programmed to think, well, I'm, I'm programmed to do things. I'm limited. And then once he's introduced to the concept that he's not, he really isn't. He never was. It was just a limitation he had on the, based on, on how his, his program processes information. Yeah, it's a good, uh, it's a good scene baby-stepping perhaps an audience that hasn't put too much thought into AI rights and self-awareness into 
some bigger concepts and bigger discussion points down the road. So I, I, I feel stuff like this is very baby steppy, but they're still enjoyable scenes because of the acting. I would, I kind of appreciate that it's baby steps um, given that, you know, we got seven years. And, and that's a luxury. I mean, that's a, that's a luxury that a format of TV you don't really see anymore. Even current Star Trek, you're looking at, you know, 10 to 12 episodes a season versus, I don't know how many are in this, like 20 something. Yeah. First season runs light. Um, by four, but uh, all the other uh, seasons I think are are full. And I mean, also this was an era of TV that you had to have a lot of talking and character development because you didn't have effects budgets at the level. I mean, Discovery, which is not Star Trek, is basically a loud, angry baby show where things explode for forty to fifty percent of the runtime. They can't do that here, and so you have more time for quiet scenes where you have baby steps of establishing your characters. You know sentience and that sort of thing i liked in the name discussion she starts uh having him list off prominent names in his database uh and one of the names she throws out there was dr spock which of course is a reference to the real dr spock not the not the spock of star trek really i uh oh so spock never actually held a a title of uh doctor in starfleet huh which what you know you are right. I am making the assumption, but there is a real life Dr. Spock who is a, a I believe, a psychiatrist. He's a pedia- pediatric infant psychology, I believe. Anyways, yes. what I took that as was like the show writers trying to get a bunch of super angry, like nerd butthole clenching. Because I was like, oh, man, how pissed off must people have been that they, you know, they dared to, to tread on original series with this hologram and whatever. And of course, he dismisses all the names that he brought up. But I thought that was a real clever, like, the writers fucking with the audience. Okay, let's start with uh, these aliens. So the the space sector, a lot of stuff doesn't make sense in here. We should bring up how the next piece of the episode comes together. And that's Harry Kim's shuttle shows up. Tom is not with him. It's just Harry. And he is fucked up. He is dehydrated. He's had a bad time. His shuttle's been banged up. They get him in sick bay, and he explains... They made me leave Tom behind and starts to explain what happens. And this is when we get our first shot, clear shot of the aliens they went to go visit. This alien homeworld that they show, I feel like every alien homeworld is the same shot of like the camera panning up over what looks like a very lush forest with like uh, Eastern Bloc Soviet era concrete buildings. It's that same fucking matte painting they use all the time. I'm pretty sure it was Kronos at one point. Um, I know for so sure re- something very similar to that in uh, Orville when the the doctor and the robot crash on the planet with her kids, and it's a planet. Did you did you watch that one yet? No, I haven't watched all of Orville yet, but um, I have no doubt if they used matte paintings like that because that's a Star Trek staple. Oh yeah, is the is the matte painting establishing shot? I mean, they they've been using that one for for years. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, when you're talking about CG budgets being at this point in the mid '90s still incredibly expensive, it's a cost saver. Yeah. So we get we get that, but we get our first shot of the aliens themselves. And Peter, I want to know what you named them. I'm going to call this alien species the shitheads. <laughs> These guys are repulsive. This is easily one of the ugliest fucking alien species I have ever seen. So kudos to the costume department for really coming up with something repulsive. What What's your name for these guys before we really describe them? Bird turbans. Yeah. Uh, because Nest it, it looked like they had, they had feathers like in their heads and it had like this gr- like bizarre dollop of hair, like interspersed in it. So uh, my, my wife said, it's like they have bird turbans. And I'm like, I like it. There was a toy in the 90s or maybe the late 80s. I remember ha- – here's here's a, here's an embarrassing Star Trek story for me. Uh, oh, good. <laughs> I loved making com badges as a kid. <laughs> so like nice. any anytime there was like clay or whatever project for school, I would always make sure that girls were not interested in me at all by making <laughs> little Starfleet uh, insignias out of them. And there was this one – Maybe it was something we did at home, but it was like this uh, metallic, plasticky, flexible material that you could cut. And then you could hit it with a hairdryer 
and like kind of mold it. And I remember I made a com badge out of uh, a silver piece and a tin gold piece and put a safety pin on the back. And that was my little prop communicator. But that that flexible when heated, ugly ass, wrinkly material is basically like wrapped around their head. And, and like you said, there's some hair like stylistically tossed out of the top. But most of these people, like a couple of them do look like bird feathers, but a lot of these people just look like they have terrible mildew mold shit. They just like, like literally like poop caked to their head. It's it's bizarre. They've got these face ridges on top of it, so it looks like their face is like. It, didn't it, even notice if you would have told me. Didn't even notice that if you would. It was just all about the shitheads. If you had told me that these were a race of sentient piles of poop that were wearing human faces, uh, I would have bought it. Like it was so weird the effect that they ended up going with. So if I'm to look at their heads and see that they have this weird crust growing around the hair follicles on their head. I'm like, is is this where all of their hair sites are? Like, do they have real crusty armpits? Is this all over their pubic regions? Like, is this thought going through Tom Paris's head and he just doesn't care because he has something worth going on on his pubic area that, you know, crust is crusted in his book. <laughs> he's, he's moved beyond caring. He has super STDs, space STDs. He's fucked so many you know, dirty holes in the Alpha Quadrant that that there's nothing that stops him. He now. takes his pants off at night, and uh, it sounds like frosted flakes hitting the deck plate. All I gotta say is, try some Kellogg sugar frosted flakes. <laughs> cool. it out. I mean, Tom Paris sees this and gets sprung. I mean, that's God. Okay, so l- l- before we get into that. So Harry starts telling the story, yeah, and and instantly, like anybody who's watched TNG, because I'm going back and like watching some TNG here and there. It, this is your classic disinterested old doctor with his, um, you know, poor bored housewife who ends up cheating on him. They hit three of those episodes in TNG by like the fourth episode of season two. So between season one, and season two, you get three examples of the the bored housewife to a overly involved scientist old scientist guy to put it in context of what they were trying to do with the episode this is our first flashback scene because you know any all those good old detective stories and and uh you know uh, noir detective movies you know they have these constant flashbacks of different characters recollections as you're trying to put together the mystery so they do this with Mm -hmm. with kim's memories of what happened and by the way, not only do these guys have sh- shit on their heads, they have shit on the walls and shit on, on in their furniture because they have the most tacky, uncomfortable shit furniture apparently on this planet. And nineties garage sale furniture. And all the no way. interior decorating skills at all. It's a it's a race of charmless turd buckets that are on their heads. And mm. we see that Tom and Harry are meeting with this scientist who apparently is good at navigation and they're gonna work on Technique. Some science stuff to help the the Voyager with navigating the Delta Quadrant. Fix? No, 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 no. They were going to fix a piece of broken equipment on Voyager. Okay, I missed that. And um, so they're gonna- the the whole setup. I'd like to back up and just discuss what's going on in this home world because it, it doesn't make sense. So there's whatever this race of shitheads are, and then there's the ugly, the other ugly race, which. Uh, uh, you know, we'll save this conversation for later. Go ahead. Okay, so Tom gets sprung by seeing the lady that uh, is the wife of the scientist who is supposed to be the femme fatale. She she is female. I will grant that, but it's hard to find anyone attractive when they have hair poop on all over their head and they look like some sort of conehead that you know went to a tough mutter run. And we. Don't see much else from Harry's perspective. He just says, the next day I got drugged into interrogation and got tortured for two days. And then they put me on my shuttle and sent me back. You skipped over the very dry dinner party that they had. And uh, do you remember the dialogue line there? Like her singular focus on the stew meat. Did that strike you at all as like weird writing? Yes. It was attempting to establish her as this mysterious femme fatale 
who has these odd habits and is enchanting and strange. And unfortunately it just came off as autistic. Yeah. Like it's seriously like 50% of her lines up to this point revolve around like, I need to get more meat for the stew. And then she's just like eating the meat and she's like, I want to make sure it's not rancid. And at that point I'm like, hold on. If there's any speculation whatsoever that you have spoiled meat, why are you even thinking about putting it in this fucking stew? Like uh, I'll pass on your goofy alien cuisine. And then she brings it up again. And then by the end, like she gets up and leaves. She's like, the meat doesn't taste right. And leaves. And it's like, uh, you guys might want to go throw up or something because something ain't right here. I think it was all supposed to be a sexual metaphor, I think. But it was just done so flat and weird and stupid that it, just, off, it, just really? made, it made it seem like she's special. Like she's 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 a touch. She's got the touch of the autism. Yeah, her uh, the the shit went a little too deep on her head, and it's uh, she got some shit shock out of it. She's <laughs> she's just not right. And it's uh, they don't know what happened, but Janeway, you know, she's not fucking around, so she uh, decides to uh, to pony up and have um, uh, the ship uh, roll out to help uh, Tom. Uh, two weird things. Uh, one, apparently, dogs exist on this planet. Because they've got a dog, and it's a dog. They call it a, a dog. real annoying, yappy dog. Right? Yeah, they call the dog a dog. But when the rain starts up, she's like, "It's a cloudburst." You know, I've I've heard people refer to rain on this planet as cloudbursts. Peter, come on, come on. That's not I've that's not that, that weird. I've never heard that. Uh, it's it's like grandma speak, but I guess we are talking about like um, you know noir story. So I get it. In my uh, grandma's constantly worried about spoiled meat as well. Maybe. Maybe you're onto something. Apparently, uh, Janeway, he's, you know, no one fucks my fuck boy but me. She's she's ready to go rescue Tom, uh, and they roll out. And from this point forward, the show is boring as fuck. Like after the setup is over and as weird and painful as that was, it was incredibly boring and stupid from that point forward. Can I now explain the the geopolitical? space situation between the shitheads and what I have listed as the other shithead aliens, the crusty dried turds. I thought that looked like a Cardassian fucked a fish, but <laughs> yes. I thought they looked like bootleg ninja turtles. <laughs> <laughs> I mean two shitty alien designs in one episode. Truly a treat. Go ahead. And, and both literally shitty like they so the big picture with Voyager, they're flying, they're trying to get home, and, you know, sometimes they're fucking with spatial anomalies or whatever. By and large, you know, Janeway's playing the fucking prime directive card uh, hypocritically left and right. So they come across this spe- sector of space, and for whatever reason, they want to deal with some of these aliens. There is an active war going on uh, between the, the shitheads and the bootleg Ninja Turtles. <laughs> and the Ninja Turtles are like running perimeter patrols and for whatever reason, the little, small, highly nimble, super agile Voyager, they decide we shouldn't fly the whole ship in to get it, this broken piece of equipment fixed. So they send Harry Kim and they send off uh, Tom Paris, their best pilot, to go on a shuttlecraft and fly into this war zone and get to the home world of this planet so they can essentially be the primary point of contact with the Federation and get the assistance of their best uh, scientists to help them with this thing. Why are these aliens, why are the shitheads willing to, sorry for all the profanity in this episode, by the way, like I'd made a promise to myself that I was going to swear less because listening to our episodes, I'm like, man, I go hot and heavy. Calling these guys shitheads probably isn't helping me accomplish this goal, but. I'm sorry, let's embrace it. Yeah. So these shitheads, uh, you know, it, it's like if they don't, if the Fed, if Janeway doesn't want to be involved in this war, why is she even there at all? Like you, you can't deal with one side without invoking the wrath of the other. And why would the shitheads even agree to help him in the first place? Like, are they just that altruistic? They're like, yeah, sure. You can talk to our, the, the planetary authority on whatever the hell you need help with. And we'll just help you. There's going to be no exchange of resources or anything else uh, that would constitute as you assisting us in a time of war, favoring a side. That, that reminds me of a Star Trek trope that is my least favorite Star Trek trope. So I'm going to talk about it now because you've triggered me. Because there's um, nothing better to talk about in this damn episode. Yeah, I mean, seriously, what, do you, what are we going to say? I mean, I, 
Snarf Snarf's stupid laugh and his weird new outfit that looks like he got drunk while trying to make a Y like <laughs> neck or something. Like, what are we going to talk I about? That? I or, thought he was good. But anyway, gonna... so so what's your trope? My my least favorite trope is whenever any Federation ship shows up at a planet and they need to talk to the one guy who's good at the thing, right? It would be like if a, sh- a starship showed up here at planet Earth, right? And we and and someone went to like Earth President, I guess you know, like the, the would that would that be the UN Secretary General? Would that be well, for the shithead minister? Right. So they and 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 like they say, hey, I've got a broken piece of equipment. Can I talk to Stephen Hawking? Like, uh, what? What? No, no, that's not how this works. You take that shit to the dealership. What the fuck is wrong uh, with you? Elon Musk real quick, please. Yeah. Like it's 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 so weird. Like, oh, yes, let's take you to my best scientist who will clearly be able to help you. Like, I don't see how that would possibly work in any actual situation with any actual alien race, assuming political you know, unity. Let's assume there's no national boundaries on Earth anymore and it's one Earth government, you know, hashtag Illuminati. Um, I don't see how like, oh, yeah, let's just let's pick out our best physicist and they'll mm-hmm. help you out. Like he's the best. Clearly, he's the best. He has anything to do. And we're just going to expose him to some unknown alien entity and, uh, you know, just trust it's going to work out the best. Like I get walking into like a Home Depot and being like, Hey guys, uh, who's the best person here for repairing drywall? And I'm like, oh, that's Tim over in aisle six and like getting front row access to that guy. But yeah, just rolling up on a planet and being like, yeah, <laughs> I don't even think you could come to like the US and be like, hey, we need to talk to the coach of the best football team and get some, you know, winning. You couldn't even get anybody to agree on who the best football team is. So they, 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 Jane Wade's like, hey, I want to deal with this. Fuck our big, you know, plan about staying neutral and all this stuff and, you know, taking shuttles in, which was a stupid idea in the first place. Just take our ship in like you should have done right off the bat. And they get encountered by uh, the Ninja Turds. <laughs> the Ninja Turtles. There you go. Boom. Boom. That's we found you are Ninja Turtles. That's like a turd L-E-S. And they, they, they we jump found right. our episode title. Just put it I wanted to go with uh, the episode title being Spoiled Meat since uh, it's such a... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> spoiled meat and nin- ninja turtles uh so the ninja turtles roll up and it's just such a boring ship design too i haven't seen any good alien ships yet and it's kind of depressing like voyager looks sweet but nothing i've seen in the delta quadrant has been at all visually engaging or really radical so i think they've had a lot of missed opportunities there and uh you know he gives her the warning about you know stay the fuck out of this war and, and we got our eyes on you and and Neelix is up on the bridge for this. He's kind of guiding her through this. And uh, it's a it's a pretty good clue in, because the Ninja Turtles, uh, Neelix says, hey, their weapons are on par with ours and they actually have regenerative shields. So Federation technology so far is, is pretty on par with uh, what everybody else in the Delta Quadrant has, if not a little on the lower end. I mean, it's like Worf syndrome, though. I mean, they have to make all these ships some kind of threat to Voyager. Otherwise, you know, what's the point if they can just mow through these dudes? Yeah, but I would think the point is, you know, what I think they tried doing with the Kmart Klingons is, yeah, you can beat these guys asses one at a time, but you are here alone. And if you fuck up a patrol, you have now aggroed an entire fucking, you know, empire potentially. And you can keep killing these ships off in small numbers, but you're going to have to deal with the humanity of just slaughtering these ships. And eventually they might be able to swarm you. So you got to, you know, not pull your gun out every, every time and, and show your piece, which speaking is speaking of speaking of packing heat. Yes, please. When, when, <laughs> I, knew, I knew I, as soon as I saw this, I knew that this was, this was something you were going to notice when they beam down to that to planet, talk to the minister of, of the top level of government. Right. It's Tuvok and Janeway, and they are visibly rocking their Glocks. They're not in hand, but they are on hip, and they, they came ready for a fight. Yeah, like, hey, dudes, uh, one of our guys already has been accused of murder, and you've already got reason to distrust us, and now we're in orbit, and let us talk to the president of your world, and we are going to beam down with fucking guns. And he's going to stupidly just chill out in the fucking presidential office with us and we'll have a nice conversation while these fucking, you know, 
maybe he knew they were the type three tickle phases and he wasn't too worried. Yeah. I mean, I don't think uh, any uh, Earth political leaders are going to take meetings with uh, aliens with ray guns uh, without. Mm-hmm. What are these guys got the going room? on? Uh, d- don't worry. This is just here for our own protection. Well, how about I don't have a gun? How about you get rid of your guns and we'll just have no guns in there? Uh, no. But it's like you said, it was it typically you didn't see um, Starfleet personnel beam down with weapons in this kind of situation. But every time these guys show up with with nines in hand, ready to, to rock. Beaming into Dilithium Cave? Sure. Bring some guns. D- beaming into the, the chief office of state for a diplomatic, you know, you're basically going to try and beg uh, your crewmate back. Maybe that's the time to leave the gun at home. Yeah, leave the service nine, you know, on on the nightstand with your badge and go have a, a pleasant chat. Um, but, I mean, I'm going to speed through some of the next bits of the plot. Um, we get a lot of more detective noir tropes. They bring Tom out. Tom starts to talk about what happened from his perspective. Tom's hair is very disheveled. You can tell that uh, he has been punished. It's true. Like we we're saying before, when your hair is disheveled, that's how you show you've had a bad time on 90s TV. Uh, we get more femme fatale uh, you know, tropes from the lady who's smoking. Yes. He's, she, she's all nihilistic about life. And she's a tease. And in the 24 meta story, in the 24th century meta story, you know, we just had the whole conversation about uh, where does the Federation draw the line on uh, drugs? Tom actually talks about the uh, – was it abandonment or outlawing of smoking? It was an outlawed. It was just that everyone figured out it was bad for them and stopped. Mm-hmm. So they didn't actually address the key question of what is legal. Smoking may still be legal. Uh, Paris just made it sound like no one does it because it's stupid. You know, which is a very 90s don't smoke message. If I don't smoke, it's dumb. It's a good message. It's a message I appreciate. But it was cool that they actually touched on you know something we had talked about earlier. I also like that they touch on uh, the age gap because that's something I was like, oh, of course, like what's what's this okay looking by their standards, okay looking shithead doing with this old shit <laughs> supermodel shithead. Yeah. Oh. Um. Who knows by their standards? But they have a breakdown of his perspective of what happened, and Tom has another aneurysm of death but he's actually passing out now and he's having degenerative neurological issues and so Janeway successfully appeals to have them all be back to, to, to Voyager where you know they Janeway makes it very clear we are sticking around until we prove Tom is innocent of this crime hit the brakes um, and sure she said that and I just like lean back like what are you talking about you do not want to go home you did something bad in the Alpha Quadrant and you never want to get home. These these guys, and maybe it's because they're standing there with, you know, uh, space death rays Velcroed to their uniforms that the, the minister doesn't want to, like, fucking object to her demands. But the, the minister's like, yeah, sure, uh, you, can, uh, you can beam this guy up to your ship, but you got to promise not to leave orbit. And then she's like, yeah, well, we're not leaving until we prove his innocence. Like, he's... The way I read that scene was just like, look, you're aliens. We don't want to pay to fucking deal with this guy in our prisons because, you know, we're, we, we're real lean on taxes. So, <laughs> you know, we punished him with bad nightmares. And, you know, I'm not going to say you can't fly away, but here you can beam him back up to your fast ship and drive the fuck out of here. And and Jane was just like, oh, we're, we're going to follow up here. You throw away alien species shitheads. We, for some reason, care about what you think, even though we're never coming back here and we're going to play these stupid legal games with you instead of just get the fuck out. Well, they do establish in the next scene that they can't GTFO without killing Tom because whatever they did to his mind is beyond the doctor's ability to fix. And um, so they have to put Detective Tuvok on on the mission for the rest of the episode. Now – Peter, I checked the clock on the episode when this happened, and it was halfway through the episode when this Detective Tuvok thing went down. And I almost wrote nothing about the rest of the episode because it was so awful. Tuvok is a character I find more interesting than I think you do, but 
Detective stories are only interesting when the detective character has character. And framing this as this big noir, you know, story, you make the detective the guy who shows no emotion, whose whose whole identity is I'm going to be the voice of reason in all of these who scenes. Who brags about being dispassioned. Right. Like it's made for terrible television. It made for the most boring scene because the next scene's this interrogation of the wife. Before we leave there, Tuvok gets up close in the camera, and I really got a good chance to to look at Tuvok. His hair uh, looks <laughs> looks good for what a, a Vulcan haircut on that body type would look like, and his haircut looks fine for someone wearing uh, pajamas with yellow shoulders. Uh, sure. I don't think that's a wig, is it? No, I don't think so. Pretty sure Tim Russ cut his hair that short just for the for the role. It's not even that short. It's like shaped weird. Like I kind of felt bad, like really looking at some. Like how did this guy get around out in real life? Like everybody else can have like a normal haircut, but like he, that had to look incredibly goony if he was just in a t shirt and jeans. <laughs> like I, I bet you Tim Russ has a pretty good collection of hats at this point. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to find out. There's going to be some posts on the Facebook. Maybe uh, Tim Russ just uh, like Tim Russ's hair through the years. Maybe Tim Russ just rock like a do rag and <laughs> or a wave. He does in one episode. Or like a wave cap oh, dude. when he's like out on the streets in real life. Dude, wait until we get to our first uh, time travel episode. My man. Mm. Oh, Tuvok, Tuvok rocks that. I'm sorry. That our first do rag hard. Did you just say? <laughs> Time travel episode. What if I were to Not tell time you, conundrum? What if I were to tell you that that will be at least the at minimum the fourth time travel episode that we have encountered? <laughs> uh, I thought a uh, Tuvok. Uh, I said you know it's a good Tuvok had a good game in this. Like uh, it wasn't a good fit to the story, but I thought he he did a good job presenting the character and and kind of working through things. I felt like I felt like it was a a D&D tabletop session or some sort of a, an RPG and the player of this character had clearly seen similar modules before and was uh, cheating his way through things without making it obvious that he was cheating. He definitely got his late jump to conclusions mad out. I mean, I didn't think Tuvok came off bad in this no, no, episode. No, no, no. I just think that it's the worst kind of situation to put that character in because the drama of the story requires – the key investigatory figure to react and interact with the situation in a way that builds the drama. And all Tuvok does is deflate it because he's, he's a Vulcan. That's what he's designed to do. Yeah. He's a party pooper. So he walks in he goes and uh, interviews uh, the, the widow now. And uh, she's being a bee. The dog runs up and starts barking at him and instantly like in my head, I'm like, this dog is going to solve the case. Like, total Chekhov's gun dog action going on here. They stole that from fucking Sherlock Holmes. So, did you notice the part where he's interviewing her and she's got her red Kool-Aid? Or maybe that's some sort of, like, uh, strawberry-flavored puckers or something. I don't know. She sits down while he's talking to her, and she's got this little mini skirt on, and she's just, like, sitting spread eagle looking at him. (laughs) With this tights on too, these terrible white tights. I, I'm looking at my notes and I, I see that that's what prompted my mind. I'm like, she's just like flashing them vagina, and that's when I was like, is her is her vagina hair all crusty too? That's that's what prompted <laughs> that that line of questioning in my head. I just it was the least sexy attempt to be seductive I think I've ever seen. I don't think she was trying I, to be seductive. I think she was just being a bitch. Uh, perhaps either way, it was it was. Emotionless versus can act, and it was a bad scene. And I was glad when it was over. His questions actually start getting good, and then he gets paged by uh, the doctor, who's like, "Hey, you know, you'd mentioned you wanted to mind meld with uh, Paris. Uh, he's got a thing coming up." No, that this is when this is just when he wakes up and he interrogates him while he's hooked up to the twenty fourth century lie detector. Right, that's right. To, to make sure that he's not lying. Sorry, I only had uh, I only had five lines of notes left. I, I didn't know we were still that far or uh, far away from the end of the episode, but yeah. So he goes up. Yeah, he he goes up and uh, he interrogates Tom. Tom's telling the truth. Uh, he thinks he might have been drugged because he just doesn't remember 
any of that encounter. Yes, he made out with the shithead. Yes, you know, he was doing things he shouldn't have been doing, i.e. his dick. But he didn't kill anybody. He has no memory of that whatsoever. As far as he knows, he just woke up in a cell after having some tea with this lady. And we cut to this awkward scene where Chakotay's driving and they get attacked by the 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 discount ninja turtles or ninja ninja turtles they manage to drive them off even though we don't see this fancy pants maneuver they talk about in dialogue it's like the only dialogue chakotay and balana have in the whole fucking episode (laughs) thankfully they knew better to get involved with this shit yeah so they get attacked by the ninja turtles again which are like firing on them and chakotay has to call tuvok to the bridge like there's no red alert and it's like, oh, we should probably have our tactical officer. But he's like, hey, man, you want to come up to the bridge? Like, shouldn't there be a red alert and like it would be rushing to battle station since Ninja Turtles are attacking you? But yeah, they make up this whole big thing about, oh, we got this Maki trick. You're going to love it, which as best I could tell uh, amounts to them slowing down so the other guys could catch up. And then they shoot them and then they start going again. And, and Janeway's like, wow, that was amazing. <laughs> I think she's like, this was a, this is a really old trick. And and Chakotay's like, oh, it'll work because no one in the Delta Quadrant's ever seen it. <laughs> that was dumb. But they, they they it's after that that Tuvok's like, okay, well it's time to mind meld. You notice he didn't lay the um he didn't lay the Vulcan mind meld chant on him. Well, they um I, I know I'm again invoking a series that you have even less knowledge of, but they talk a lot about the background of mind melds in Enterprise, and you know, what is actually necessary to mind meld and the chanting is not necessarily necessary. I know I just blew your mind. Wow. I'm not, I, <laughs> two episodes in a row. I have tried to slip in like you should totally watch enterprise for more backstory. Well, when they do mind melds and discovery, they do do the chant. Well, and, and I want to be clear that while star Trek discovery is not star Trek, it is apparently references enterprise a lot. So if you want to, if you want to be up on this on this fake think. show that calls itself Star Trek, you should watch Enterprise. So the Maquis trick was stupid. What's the point? No Vulcan chant. And then uh... he gets all the answers. They, he sees the replay and he comes out of the mind meld and he would, and, and the player has put the module book down under the table, his copy that he's brought. And he's like, I know all of the answers now. Let us bring everyone together so that I can have the stereotypical detective reveal scene. Uh, you're missing the part where uh, they lie. Oh, yeah, yeah. Th- that does happen between that scene and, and the other where they pull one over on the Ninja Turtles. Turtles. Yes, it was. Uh, I thought that was actually a pretty cool part. The the uh, decoy. So they uh, they lie to the minister who clearly doesn't give a fuck about any of this. Obviously. And is just hoping that they leave. And they're like, okay, we're going to return Tom back to you guys now. Uh, but we're afraid that our transporter technology is exacerbating this neurological issue that your uh, procedure has caused. And uh, we're going to send him back by shuttlecraft. And as the shuttlecraft leaves, it's uh, Harry Kim and uh, Paris on the shuttle. The Ninja Turtles rolling hot and heavy and uh, tractor beam the shuttle uh, onto their ship and they they board it and uh, one of the ninja turtles has a uh, an off-brand ipad that uh has a picture of tom a very fetching headshot of tom and goes okay this is the one we're here for and then all of a sudden tom and uh harry beam back onto the bridge and uh Janeway makes a pretty good power play like uh look, motherfuckers, I want my shuttle back. And they're like, no, you knew this was a war zone. And she's like, oh, by the way, we've got uh, all this fucking C4 on this thing. And we are going to blow your asses up if you don't give me my thing back. And I I, I fist bumped her a little bit in my head when, when she played that one out. It was definitely the best Janeway moment in the episode. The way that it was LeVar Burton was the director on this that framed the shot where it's just her head and like the darkened background of the bridge. And then just let Kate Mulgrew just like showcase some, shall we say, stern uh, facial expressions where she's where they said, well, we, we warned you this was a war zone. She's like, yes. And thank you for that warning. BT dubs. I put a bomb on your ship. So give it back. Give me back my bomb before I blow you up with that bomb. And it was it was really well done. She's iron in the glove 
You know, it's like I said the during the phage episode when we reviewed that. When Kate Mulgrew is on, she's on, and she makes a great starship captain. Uh, Janeway as a character can can be cool when they make her cool. I was hoping you wouldn't remind me of the fact that LeVar Burton directed this. <laughs> I mean, there's it was competently directed. The writing was just terrible. I mean, you know, it's the, they wrote Tuvok into this role he was not suitable for. And yeah. anyway, so it's hard to separate the two sometimes. But anyway, so uh, I will say that um, Tom and Harry have that little discussion in the shuttle before they get captured where they're talking about Tom's sexual proclivities to get involved with women he couldn't get involved with. And he sounds like a total fucking SVU episode waiting to happen. Like, you know, you shouldn't do it, but you do it anyway. It's like, no, Tom, you're not supposed to fucking do it, dude. Like, don't go messing with things you shouldn't mess with, particularly on other planets. We do- As someone who has who has had a couple adventures in places where I should not have been, I felt like that was – uh, that, that was pretty good dialogue. I was like, yeah, you, you got a point, Tom. That's that's a good uh, public service announcement there. I, I have firm limits and Tom Paris doesn't. He will he will fuck a shithead. That's what we've learned. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I the like he came into this the bad boy. And now he's just basically just a ro- roving STD. He's dangerous to life. He will not be assimilated. So they get all these shitheads in the same room. They got, uh, you know, the the Voyager beams everybody down. You got the minister there. You got the chief doctor who is the most birdie of all the the bird crust variants of the heads. He is. He, has, like, he has the crustiest head. Peacock. I, I would say he's the most feathery head, not the most crusty head. And then you got Tuvok, Janeway. Is Kim there or is it just... Uh, Oh, the, I think it's just Tuvok and Janeway and Paris are the only the stars people there. there. Tuvok points out how he read ahead to the end of the story and got all the answers. And this is where, you know, the overlay of uh, the memory pops up because he calls to question that, you know, there's all this this data stream at the bottom of the memory. And Tom's like, oh, yeah, well, I just figured that was part of the, the procedure. Like, dude, if you just got framed for something you didn't do, wouldn't you be calling questions to every single thing you could have tried to prove your innocence because uh Tuvok points out like oh yeah this is actually uh, stolen research from the professor uh that had been overlaid in tom's memory because tom you know the they knew that tom was not going to stay on the surface for long and the ninja turtles were going to abduct him and extract this information and someone in this room is uh is basically a committing treason on your planet and funneling high level research into enemy hands. So after they reveal that they've stolen the plot of Johnny mnemonic, they reveal that Tuvok's got all this information that suggests that it's in fact the doctor who did it because of height difference. He knew where the Um, heart was, which is in the thoracic cavity. (laughs) And, and uh, the, the, the biggest one of all, which I already mentioned is that, the dog is familiar with him, which is, again, stolen straight out of Sherlock fucking Holmes. And sure enough, the shitheads decide to book uh, the doctor on the, the treason beef. And the femme fatale is also uh, led away after a final parting words with with Tom in, in classic noir story style. And that and that's it. They they pull the, the bad shit out of Tom's head, we presume. And the Voyagers are back on their way. And and Tom has a final scene with Tuvok where he's, you know, letting him know, you've got a friend in me, um, but Tuvok is too cool to care. And that's it. That's the end of the episode. No B-plot, just, just, just garbage. <laughs> I mean, like, if, if I sound dispirited and dispassionate in this episode, it's because this episode is boring as fuck. It wasn't terrible, like, on every conceivable level, like the Candy Corn Massacre. It wasn't terrible, you know, in, in an absurd way, like The Cloud. This was just like, uh, as an episode. It was terrible in a very unfunny way. I would say this is probably the worst episode that we've watched so far. Like, at least in the Candy Corn tragedy, Janeway gets punched in the head. Um, <laughs> very true. She gets jacked real good. But I mean, really, the the only thing I could get excited about in this whole episode uh, was the fact that they have gone 
I don't know. I feel like they, they, they've thrown a basketball from one end of the court and like hit a swish on the other. Like maybe there's just a game on the Voyager where they're like, what's the craziest situation you think we could bring a gun into? <laughs> Nobody stop. And like fucking uh, Tuvok and Janeway like came back from that away team mission talking to the minister, like high five each other. Like, dude, we pulled guns on the president of this planet. <laughs> All right, ne- next time, next time we got to pull a gun on on the child of whatever their planetary saint is. Let's find their let's let's find the school that kid is in. We'll just pull our nines out of a whole classroom. We'll stun someone. We'll make it look real good. Yeah, we'll phaser three tickle them. Uh, there's two things that I'm really tracking. My my B plots for Voyager are uh, where can they bring guns? This is a very pro NRA episode. Very true. Uh, wh- where can they bring guns and how are they using the replicator? So I can only assume that after they brought guns into the fucking president's office that they celebrated by going up back up to the Voyager and uh, replicating some tiramisu and uh, wasting that energy because, you know, why not? They don't care. It's I, I know that you are crushed by a lack of update to your your ongoing uh, saga of the replicators uh, headcanon. I am sorry for that. Um, we really didn't get any updates on the Chicote is secretly attempting to seize control of the ship to run off of the Delaney sisters head cannon, nor any of the Neelix is secretly a covert agent here to destroy Voyager. I mean, in, in every instance we, we were left, we were left with, with cold uh, lack of content for our, our head cannon. Chicote thing and uh, you know, the ongoing need for mutiny. This point too, man. Look, you, you got the captain down on the surface with the with the traitorous uh, double agent security Vulcan. You know, Shakota could be like, "Look, man, we're trying to get home. I don't care about Tom Paris. He's a racist asshole. He makes fun of my Indian heritage. Uh, fuck you. Fuck Tuvok. Fuck Paris. You can all stay on the planet's surface. We're gonna go home, and we're just gonna do a straight line. See you guys later." But he doesn't because he's a pussy. He has one line. Where he, he pulls apparently going slow and then going real fast again trick. <laughs> this crafty Maquis came up with. It wasn't even as good as Top Gun where uh, they slam on the air brakes and let the MiGs like fly in front of their F-16 and then like shoot them from behind. Like he just lets them get a little bit close. Like the Maquis trick is, yeah, just just ease on the brake for a little bit and then fly away. Well, I, it's terrible. I like how they have this like witty banter between her, him and Janeway where she's like, well, you won't be able to pull that trick when you get home. Like, yeah, you're just going to go back to being a terrorist when you get home. I know this. Yeah. I thought it was pretty cool that they mentioned that uh, the runabouts are used as like security patrols. They don't have like a small craft style shift except the, the Defiant really that you ever see uh, yeah. much of in, in all of the T, uh, TNG DS9 era. And they used a lot of runabout in, in DS9, obviously. So they kind of established that. I um, I don't have much to say. I, I this this just was a boring, uh, fun sucking episode. It was. It sucked the joy out of my life. And and I knew it. I knew it the second that split second I saw that black and white. I'm like, I know exactly what I'm going to be getting in for here. All right. Well, let's take a look. What's our next episode on the docket? Uh, looks like. It is emanations. And what's emanations about? Oh no! Oh no! Oh, oh, Peter, we're in for a bad time. I just got out of a bad time. Don't tell me this. This is this is a worse time. This is this is one of the all-time worst episodes. I mean, don't you enjoy it when Star Trek talks about death and the afterlife? Joe, what are you doing? This is why I didn't want to do this. <laughs> it's oh, coming dude. true. I knew it would happen. I'm really starting to doubt this too. Well, quick, just give us the give us the rule of acquisition. So I don't want to give a rule of acquisition. There's there's only so many of these things. We're gonna run out. I, I feel bad. All right, so just the stupid plot basically boiled down to them somehow knowing that aliens would come in out of nowhere and be on the planet and off the planet and turning this guy into Johnny Mnemonic courier with their whatever rule of acquisition. 94 females and finances don't mix. 
crime doesn't pay. <laughs> crime doesn't pay when Detective Tubak and uh, and his partner Ren Tin Tin are on the case. <laughs> I mean, so I mean, we just watched this great episode of television from these same people. It was fantastic. It was a great sci-fi. It was great Star Trek. It was great specific to what you set up Voyager to be. And the very next episode is my shitty take on Maltese Falcon by way of crappy Perry Mason in space. I mean, it's one good episode and then they put you through a couple bad episodes. We're not, this isn't the USS Voyager. It's a USS coaster. Like they only give it enough gas to get about two episodes later. And then they give it another tap of gas. It's just it's hype, USS hypermiling. Well, anyways, <laughs> thanks for joining us, guys. Uh, we're really enjoying uh, any sort of communication we're getting out of the audience. Check us out on uh, Facebook. We got our Facebook page there. I think we might be getting a group going here a little later on to make it easier for some uh, community participation. We're on Twitter at uh, Viger Please Reviews. You know, get attention out there. If you could uh, drop us some five star reviews on uh, iTunes, I'm not too proud to beg. Hey, um, we really appreciate the people who haven't done that so far. And and seriously, t- type in V'ger, please, anywhere where fine podcasting is found. You'll find us. Type it into Google, and we're like the first eight options. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we are findable. And the best thing you can do to help us out if you like the show is let other people know about it so they, too, can suffer. Like It's like the yeah, man. Rope your friends into this shit. Make, make, it a, make it a thing. You guys can joke about it in public and nobody will know what you're talking about except for the two of you and you guys will be the coolest people in that room, I guarantee you. And on that note, uh, this has been V'ger Please, a hateful voyage through the Delta Quadrant and sometimes dis- disheartened. Um, I'm Joseph. I hated this episode and Joe, I'm holding you accountable for, for future episodes like this. I'm Peter. And I've got bad news, guys. I think our friendship might be over next episode. <laughs> Peace. Peace. <laughs>